following program is paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4. Every weekday, News Radio 1240 KQEN brings you local information at 4 o'clock. Now, True Wealth, presented by Little John Financial Services. Here are David Little John and Katie Shook with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, welcome to the True Wealth Radio Show, where this format will be slightly different today because, believe it or not, she's not here every show. Host Dave Little John in studio, joining me, Mr. Derek Simmons. Howdy. Hi, and welcome, and thank you for filling in today. We did prep this, I think, like three or four weeks ago. Yeah, and, we did. And, and yet still we managed to uh, almost botch it. <laughs> I blame myself. But uh, th- I appreciate you subbing in, my friend. Uh, first thing that I think we need to get out of the way for all of our listeners, perhaps the most important topic we will speak about all day how is the Kansas basketball team shaping up? Thank you for asking. Thank you for asking. <laughs> Kansas is, is preseason number two. Should be awesome this year. Playing Duke next week. Which, all of a sudden, I'm a Kansas fan. I know. We right? all hate Duke. It's a it's a national pastime. It is. So, well played. Uh, good. So, number two preseason. And first game's got to be coming up here in just a few weeks, yeah? Well, they're playing exhibitions now, but yeah. Duke is the first game one week from today. And then, later in the week, Michigan State. It should be should be a murderer's row there for somebody. Okay. I just want to be on the murderer side and not the murderee side. Yeah, no, I think that's probably the preferred side to no be doubt. on. So, uh, all right. And I, I got to tell you. I haven't even checked preseason, preseason rankings for the Tar Heels. David. I know. Well, like I said, first thing first, uh, I'm really more of a playoff guy these days. <laughs> I see. There was, uh, you, ha- you have got me committed to March Madness. Good. So in that respect, I would like to believe we have a little time, and um, odds are that uh, the streak will you know, resume and that Carolina's made the tournament a lot. Uh, I think only one time they haven't in like the last 25 years. That sounds right. But um, and Brad Doherty, doggone it. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I digress. Um, you know, this is an interesting topic, totally unrelated to what I had told you we might talk about. But really interesting because I bet you have an opinion about this. And I think our listeners may have a strange curiosity as well. It is financially relevant, although obscure. Okay. It's this recent... California ruling that NCAA players can receive money for the use of their likeness in promotional, like commercial promotion. Right. That should be interesting. So uh, my knee-jerk reaction to this is, well, I need more information, right? I have to make some assumptions, and those assumptions I kind of hope are wrong, because if it literally is, well, the player just gets the money. And it just goes to the player directly. I can see this being really advantageous to large media markets, and it could make a, a giant fissure in the competitiveness of NCAA basketball because all of a sudden it's basically like star power recruits. Well, you know, yeah. There's a lot to be discussed about what exactly that statute says because um, I could see on the one hand somebody capturing 
revenue from their likeness in an NCAA basketball video game. But if they're every time their face shows on an advertisement for a game on ESPN, if somebody has to play a royalty, that will completely undermine the structure of what we have. Now, that's not to say it wouldn't be replaced by something but better. I thought but it meant things like they could actually get a shoe contract in college. I have not seen that. Okay, I d- so I have not seen that uh, hypothesis, but it's possible. Right. Now, uh, one thing that uh, I remember, I don't remember who brought it. It may have been you. I don't know if we've talked about this at all before. I don't recall speaking about it, which makes this more interesting on air. Right. But the idea is, well, how does the money work? Is it that the players, it all gets put into a community pot, if you will, and the NCAA sort of distributes it to all the schools? Or is it pro rata? Is it, uh, you know, per, so how well, this how is, and where the money goes, I think, is also really important to the conversation. I have to agree. This is way more fun without having read the law. Yeah, right now <laughs> we're just totally we're just conjecturing. conjecturing. But no, the picture I have it is that it's, it's per person and it's tied to their likeness. So that would not result in pooled money for schools or even pooled money for a school. It would go into the guy's pocket. Yeah. I just think it's fascinating because if that were the case, again, my, my initial thinking is large media markets, more exposure, more potential opportunities it's for true. revenue gives you, gives, you know, Southern California schools a huge advantage over kansas well on the plus side i've still got all my college eligibility so i can still go back i do not i only have one year left so you better make it a good one i know right i i I registered in my freshman year and i so i i have i did it in four so i've i've got one year left i keep waiting for the call uh it's it's been a long wait but isn't your likeness on billboards up and down i5 uh, I've had my likeness on a billboard. It, it worked the other way around. I recall having to pay to do that. Oh, that's no fun. Uh, of It's funny. I did a podcast with another uh, individual who asked me about marketing ideas for financial advisors, and we, we joked about how that was perhaps the worst return on an investment I've ever experienced because it actually manifests in zero. Oh, yeah. That's... <laughs> so we spent money and made nothing so it was a just a pure straight up it could have been worse cost. somebody could have called you and said i saw your billboard i didn't like the way you looked i'm firing you yeah that's true it, it did not directly result in uh, anybody terminating relationships with us so it's it hard. went negative but not super negative it's hard that that's the sunny side of the whole deal though true it's very true uh, a handful of people must have recognized it because they're like hey i saw you on a billboard i'm like great did that lead to so yes. clearly not enough of a call to action and in today's modern era total violation of marketing standards because how do you measure the return well it was easy we measured zero yeah but uh, how could we have measured the return well poorly so not a good plan live and learn right that's the nature of business uh so speaking of living and learning something kind of interesting now as i understand eric you have uh some progeny at home i have like 150 children Yes, and some of them are even yours. That's true. That's right? true. I mean, you've 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 kind of adopted many friends and other uh, various borderline refugees through the Rotary Club from time to time. Uh, right, right. <laughs> I've got I've got the four kids, and then we have a wonderful exchange student with uh-huh. us right now. It's a lot of fun. Yep, and uh, of course you've been on the 
board of directors at the Boys and Girls Club forever, and I know great extension of your family through that. One of my very favorite, one of my favorite charities. And I will say, uh, this I get to do in public, and this is very fun. Um, congratulations as a dad, because you've had not one but two outstanding youth awards in your family uh, from the Boys and Girls Club. That was very exciting. Yes, and there and and you, that was. There was no nepotism going on in this one. They genuinely earned it. They, well, what happened was when I uh, joined the club several years ago, Scott Stanley actually suggested it. The optometrist said, uh, hey, you should come and be on this board. I had no idea what the Boys and Girls Club was. Mm-hmm. And it turns out to be it's a safe place after school for kids, Yep. particularly when their parents work, as, as I do and my wife does. Right. So then we sent our kids, and they had a great time. And they um, they participated in a number of programs, and they helped out the folks that were running it, and they helped to mentor the younger children. And then sooner or later, yeah, they, they win this Youth of the Year Award, which was just really, I was very proud. Yeah. Uh, well, and I don't blame you. Uh, <laughs> I, and what happens is, so there's this, the, the, the funny story where this all connects together. Um, I got the privilege of being one of the masters of ceremonies at the event. It was something that you had done several times, but when your oldest son was given the award, you sort of graciously stepped down because... Because that would have been weird. It would have been weird for you to be the MC and have it be your son. And so that's where I got tapped. And now having... So I, I guess I'll just keep hanging out. And how many kids are you going to run through it, right? I've got two more coming. All right, let's... Well, now we set the bar high. It's true. <laughs> Well, it was really cool. And I I'd also want to say to now this is your not your eldest. I mean, your, your eldest, he also gave a terrific speech. But um, Gabe and his expected uh, acceptance speech, he did a fantastic job. He really did. You know, and so I thought uh, a lot of poise. And so a couple young men that did a really good job speaking in front of a very large audience, I think, for a 14 year old to, you know, <laughs> And, and, and really pulled it off with a ton of poise. I was impressed. So, very cool. Well, all right. So, now that we're done patting each other's backs and everybody feels so kumbaya and that the Boys and Girls Club gets their local plug, right? Which, this was totally unsolicited. And Derek did not know I was going to do this. Nor does the Boys and Girls Club. But, uh, great organization. And I do think absolutely relevant to the core of the name of this show, which is True Wealth. Right? And they do a lot. Uh, I know the community supports them a bunch, but it's not the parents that bear significant costs for their kids to go. The idea is anybody can access it. It is non-discriminatory on a cost basis. That's the idea, yeah. Yeah, so so any kid can go, and this is, I think, a neat concept is, uh, what is it? It's like a dollar a week? $52 a year yeah, so, for a child to be a member. And I assure you it costs more than that per child. It's like $730 a kid. Yeah, and so year. it's entirely because of the benevolence of our community and the folks that donate to make that happen. So very I think, cool stuff. I think people see the return on investment that you get from a kid who's got exposure to people that care and programs that instruct, and it's a safe place. You know, They're not out raising hell if they're at yeah. the club. And I think that you really could quantify the return on investment too. If you think about what you what gets spent on each kid and then the probability that those kids end up in an environment where they are 
productive in society and what ultimately manifests from that, I'd be willing to wager that's a very good ROI. I think that's probably true. So cool. Well, look, um, here's speaking of kids, I want to introduce. So we got to take a break. But when we come back, I, t- I told Derek we were going to do this. We both have kids. What are financial lessons that we wish our kids would get? <laughs> we're going to cover that and more when we come back. This is David Littlejohn. And Derek Simmons. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. All right, everybody, welcome back to The True Wealth Show. Dave Littlejohn in studio, and joining me today, Mr. Derek Simmons. All right, so he's uh, now, Derek, for everybody's benefit, uh, first I've got to fess up, right? Derek and I are buddies. He's been on the show before. Uh, you guys are like, you always say you're into the phone book. Is there actually anybody yeah. behind you? Last in the phone book, first in your hearts. It's there you true. go. Watkinson, Laird, Rubenstein. Right. And so Watkinson, Laird, Rubenstein, because I think law firms by mandate have a series of names followed usually by PC or something like yeah, that's that. That's right. Yes. And it's then, in the law. Yeah. And and uh, that's that. Do you use the title Esquire? I don't, I uh, unless I'm trying to be funny. Okay. But I could. I could. Right. You know, the other one. Could you do it without being funny? I'm not sure that I could. The other (laughs) one I can do, I could uh, characterize myself as doctor. Doctor. Since I have a Juris Doctorate, but that just seems goofy and I would never do that. (laughs) Okay. I cannot use the term doctor unless it's like Dr. Pepper or something. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So, all right. Well, so. Talking about our kids here. Now, this is a conversation that's come up from many, many angles, right? It's come up amongst our peer group, uh, lots of different professionals. And I, I hear this from teachers routinely as well. In fact, it's been such a frequent topic that I'm considering actually doing something about this. But the topic is financial lessons for our kids. Uh, you know, you have several still at home, but one of them getting ready to graduate this year and move on to uh, potentially higher education, maybe even a military academy. He'd like that, yeah. Yeah, but it's possible, right? And in fact, it's looking solid right now. Looks good at this point, yes. Yeah, so we shall see, but that's, uh, again, of course, exceptional young man, and so exciting uh, to see where his future unfolds. Uh, I have three daughters. They're not quite to the same phase that you're at uh, in terms of, being, but we are prepping for that probable pathway. Uh, and you know, I do think that we can have lots of discussion about education in general. I will keep it very high level because I don't want to talk about education per se on the show today. Mine is, my, my, my take on it is when you have to pay for school, it is an investment. Yes, you right? tend to take it way more seriously right. when you have to pay for it. Well, and not just who is paying for it, because I, I so just to give you everybody listening a, a little insight, during the break, I kind of posed this question to Derek. I said, so, so uh, do, should parents pay for college? 
<laughs> and my, my answer was, well, I could make an argument both ways, but I will say that I paid for college. Mm-hmm. And that really helped to build some of the self-esteem that led me to accomplish other things. You know, looking mm-hmm. back, I can say um, my parents gave me a wonderful home and set me up to succeed. But what I accomplished professionally was was, you know, a lot due to my own efforts. Yeah. And that, I think, helps to define me. So now if I look at my children and I say, hey, I'm going to pay for college, then I would maybe deprive them of the opportunity to accomplish that same thing for themselves. And I'm not sure I want to do that. It yeah. seems weird. It's It definitely sounds self-serving, but I like, I like the idea that they would be able to achieve that. Well, I understand. Now, let me, full disclosure, so I have a college degree and... My parents were able to pay for that degree. Now, I'm extraordinarily grateful, especially now as I look back. But I have to agree with what you just described, which was I don't think I fully appreciated when I was 18, 19 years old what that meant. Uh, I did get my head screwed on, but it took a little bit. And so... It's funny because when we the very first thing we said was, well, I view college like it should be an investment. Well, the number one rule when investing is, what's your expected return? Right. Right? And so if I as a student didn't view it as an investment, then I was the one who was casual about it and somebody else was taking on the risk. Right. And you had the risk directly. Right. So you had the skin in the game. Although, to be fair, I'm not sure that I realized it at the time. Yeah. You know, a lot of when I went to school 30 years ago, uh, the prices were substantially lower than they are today. So now um, I think children come along and then they go to college and they're pleased to have gotten into college and they're learning all those things about about how to operate life when you don't have parents telling you what to do all the time. And. They sign um, promissory notes. They borrow money to go to college, not having any idea how they're going to pay it off. Yes. They just don't understand, even if they've been told, even if they should know, uh, the actual material converting that into dollars out of my pocket later is something that is really hard for a lot of kids to learn. Yeah. It's literally the don't get it. And, And you've heard me talk about this on the program before, you know. 18-year-olds, their brains are not even finished developing, right? I mean, like you think about your, you, you know, a little kid is growing up and their muscles and their bones and there's, there's all this physical maturing that goes on. The brain's the last thing. Oh, yeah. You know, and so part of it is your judgment and your decision-making processes have not fully matured at that point. So this is also why teenagers sometimes do pretty dumb stuff because they don't process and judge the same way. It's also why, and I'm here, I'll just say it, it's kind of terrifying when, I, when somebody says, you know, we should give 16-year-olds the right to vote. And I go, <laughs> listen, 16, as you like to say, if, you know, in my house, if, if you got to vote at 16, then there's a good chance that there'd be a water slide out of their bedroom. It's so true. It's like that. I don't know that that's the right use of resources, but to them, it would be totally cool. And yet, these are the people that are borrowing, borrowing enormous amounts of money. Uh, on their own signature, sometimes with their parents co-signing, to go to college. Yeah. And there is, 
it's it's again it's that lack of cause and effect and the 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 way risks are evaluated and so forth but on the investment side too it's this here's the number one thing i see with education in general is people look at it and say well this is a thing i want to do but the income that it will generate isn't enough to really pay back the cost of the education right and this is a huge problem with many professions right now where you know we have a lot of social work type professions where you need a master's degree and it's the the debt that people incur to get that master's degree for the amount of money that the position will pay them. They won't recapture it. Yeah, it just doesn't pencil. Like it's a charity position and you'll you'll put yourself in permanent debt. So there there's an economic problem with that. Well this is this is the math I did. I was a newspaper editor before I went to law school. And I did some math when I decided I wanted to go. And I was making probably Twelve fifty an hour, something like this, as a copy editor, and I and I did some math, and I said if I take three years off of work where I don't get paid at all, and then I incur a bunch of debt and I have to pay it off on a thirty-year schedule, and I can come out and make fifty thousand dollars a year, which is a lot of money. If I could make that, then in seven years I'd break even on taking three years off and borrowing the money, mm-hmm. and it worked. It absolutely did work, but I needed to do that math before I did it. Because if I borrowed that money without a plan, I wouldn't know what I was giving up and I wouldn't know where I was going. Yeah, yeah. So, bottom line, and for you parents out there, this is one of those financial lessons that I would really try to impress upon kids. Now, that I didn't get it till I was 30, but even so. <laughs> yeah. Well, but here's the thing. Part of what we want to do is take some of the wisdom that was gained from experience and try to transfer it so that you don't have to gain it from experience. Yes. Right? It would be nice. Learn if, from the wisdom, not the experience. It'd be nice if my children could learn from my mistakes and not just theirs. Yes. And so when we talk about, hey, how and, and sometimes it's tough to be heard from as a parent, you know, your own kids just roll their eyes and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, now, that is also true that it's hard sometimes for parents to take kids seriously. You know, I've, I've seen adult children that are, you know, pretty sharp and their parents just struggle to, t- to listen to them when right. they actually do know what they're talking about. But there's a lot of history there that, that sort of makes it tough. It's true. <laughs> uh, so first and foremost, to everybody out there, and actually I shouldn't say kids, I should say to anybody that's looking at education, you need to do a very fair assessment of what is the value and is there a realistic return on investment? Or are you doing this because it just you know, feels good and that's part of the return on your investment is I just wanna say I did it. And I'm okay with that as long as you walk into it with your eyes open and you know that's what you're doing. Right. Uh, just don't you know whine later and go, oh, you know, woe is me for all this debt I've incurred when I did this thing that you know, I knew going into it was going to create a problem, and now the problem is here, and I'm pretending like I'm a victim. No, no, no. That was totally self-induced. Yeah, you re- you rephrase that as, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Sure. Well, and I, I reframe it, rephrase it as, well, you did jump on the tracks when the train was coming. So, <laughs> and you saw it in advance, right? So, um, all right. So there's, you know, th- I guess one piece of financial advice is, you know, for all of you out there that are looking at education, let there be a return on it, okay? And try to quantify it somewhat. 
make you know make the decision around it because we have a bunch of jobs in this country that are going unfilled right now. They're just not necessarily the kind of jobs that we have culturally in encouraged everybody to go seek. Everybody's you know trying to go through a liberal arts education process. Meanwhile, we can't get the uh, folks that build our infrastructure. We can't fill those jobs fast enough. Right. And, and pretty soon, you know, plumbers and electricians are going to be making more money than our doctors and attorneys at the rate we're going. We'll need them as much. You we bet. will. <laughs> you know, uh, robots don't, you know, robots are really good at building things right now that require repetitive processes, but it's really hard to take a robot into your house under the crawl space and fix plumbing. Like, they don't know how to do that. <laughs> but if somebody's got a, one of those ideas, we should help you patent it. Yes. Because that sounds like fun. <laughs> Agreed. Uh other advice that we would offer our kids. So I've got a whole list of stuff here. Let me jump out with one, okay? Let's do it. One that everybody should know. You don't quit your job until you've already lined up the next one. Ah, uh, this is the monkey in a tree theory. Okay? You know, monkeys have like thumbs on all their limbs. Right. Okay? And most of them pretty long, useful tails, too. If you ever watch a monkey, not very often are they flying through the air. They are swinging from limb to limb, and they don't let go of one point of contact until they've grabbed the next. Huh. And so I like that as an analogy in your mind to think, well, if you're swinging through the tree and you leap, you really have to hope the branch will not only be there, but be strong enough to catch your weight. I like it. So... I agree with you. Have a job lined up before you leave the one you're at. Also, interestingly enough, I think sometimes when you have a job, it makes the next job easier to get. Employers poach a lot more than they take people from the job pool. Virtually always. Right? And and it may not be fair or right or anything else, but there's something from an employer perspective about demonstrable responsibility. And when you're hiring, when you're hiring and you're looking at a resume, you always notice gaps. Mm -hmm. And you kind of expect the applicant to have an explanation for why there's a gap in the resume. Yeah, if you just said to your employer, you know, pound sand, I'm out, that is a bad sign. Even if the employer was a terrible, terrible employer, it looks bad on paper because it makes everybody wonder, well, how bad were they that you were willing to abandon that and take on all that risk? And let's assume for the moment that we don't have any idea why the job ended, mm -hmm. but then you're without a job for a while. Well, what do all those other people that you ostensibly applied for jobs with who didn't hire you, why are they passing? It yeah. just gives you reasons to think about it. It's true. And you know there could be all the HR reasons in the world that folks are not supposed to do whatever they do, but that's how human opinion forming works right and we're all guilty of it but it's we all true. do it okay so we've now this this is fun advice by the way uh it's kind of a different path than i had initially started on but it's i i like this because uh this is really practical application stuff for folks and it's not just necessarily for you this is good financial advice in for general. anybody yeah <laughs> you know it's uh have a have a ready-made explanation for why there are gaps in your uh on your resume if they exist and try not to make them too flaky <laughs> so, uh, 
All right, well, look, we're, you know, we're smack dab at a great point where we can grab a break. So why don't we do it? When we come back, I want to talk about specifically some investment advice that we can offer to uh, young folks that they're probably not getting in the classroom today. So we'll do that more when we come back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Derek Simmons. you got True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Show. With, it's, the, it's the Dave and Derek Show today. Yay. I know, right? And we're talking about advice for kids. Uh, and I keep using that term, uh, but really, and the reason I'm using that term is because I am thinking about uh, youth that are still oftentimes that haven't left the house, so under 18, and we're still trying to make a good impression on them financially and trying to set up some rules for life. And and the reason is I don't think that most education systems do this. There may be some private schools that have a little bit of this going on, but for the most part, it's not it's financial management's not present in our financial curriculum. Right, and in fact, we we teach economics, but we tend to teach it in the senior high level Right. And and even then, a lot of people don't understand a lot of the basic concepts. Well, and I think we teach economics, but we don't teach fundamentals of finance. Right. We don't teach financial literacy. It's actually economics. It's like, well, what's a pricing model? Oh, it's here's supply and demand and here's the variables. And so that's a theory about how the financial system would operate in terms of pricing and uh but we don't really talk about the, like the currency system. You know, we don't talk about the Federal Reserve and the Treasury and the relationship of how money is either added or pulled from the financial system. So is that the part we need? No. Okay. What do we need? We need rules for how to be responsible with money. Because what we do is we have this sort of negative consent teaching methodology, and it happens through... Uh, a real carnal nature that we Can I have. buy candy? No. Can I buy candy? No. Can I buy candy? No. That one? <laughs> sort of. It's more like, hey, this cereal has a prize in it. I want to go buy it. Right? Advertisers create the perception of need. Right? It's not need. It's want. And then we mistake want for need, and we prioritize wants over needs, and we will then use money we don't have to buy them. Okay? And this is... Uh, I know right now there are people that have decent paying jobs working at the mill that have truck payments that are higher than their apartment payment. And you think, what are you doing? You know, why would you take 30%, 40% of your income and sink it into a vehicle that you cannot afford that's depreciating in value? Well, either you're really a knucklehead or what I would like to believe is you really wanted it. Well, you may have really wanted it, but nobody ever showed you just how much that's going to cost you and how damaging it's going to be. Cause I don't know anybody that comes out 
of school and says, you know what I'd like to be one day is so broke I can't afford anything and miserable, right? Even folks that come from generational poverty would love the idea of if I could win the lottery and strike it rich, it'd be amazing. Now, they may not have the skills to manage any money if that happened. And we see that repeated throughout history is uh, folks that don't know how to manage money get a huge sum of money and spend all of it. that, That happens again and again. But I think for the vast majority out there, we don't teach basic skills. Like, here's a no-brainer. Okay, number one rule for not being broke in life. Spend less than you earn. It's true. It doesn't matter how much money you make if you spend 103% of it. Yeah. It's amazing that people do it, too. And again, confusing the want and the need. I really want the stereo. I don't have the money for it. Somebody will give me a credit card so I can have the thing now, and I'll pay for it over time. I said, oh, buddy, will you pay for it? There is a rule right there. Pay for it over time. If you're going to pay interest on something, you're wasting money. And here's here's what I will tell you. The only time that I would say buying something where you're paying over time may make sense is if the thing that you are buying is going to appreciate in value, which is why the Dave Ramseys of the world will give you leniency, even though not a pass, on purchasing a home, right? Because you got you to live somewhere and you're going to make a monthly payment to somebody else at rent or you can make a monthly payment to yourself and, and buy an asset that theoretically should appreciate in value. But he'll tell you, Ramsey, all day long, nope, just get a beater car and then save your money until you can afford to get something nicer and pay cash. And that's generally true. So here's a question for you. Mm-hmm. Would, how do we feel about if you've got interest, if you've, you've borrowed money at a very low rate, and then you say, well, hold on, I could invest this money and make more than I would um, save by paying off the interest early? This is a really... So this is a, a sophisticated strategy. There's a name for it. Okay, what you've just described is what we call arbitrage. Okay, uh, not the bird. That's an albatross. <laughs> arbitrage, and an arbitrage is exactly as you've described: borrowing at a lower cost to to obtain the funds than they are invested and appreciating. Right. Now, so you're making the difference. And I'm not suggesting that anybody borrow money to invest it. But if you have the choice between applying money that you've saved either to pay off the debt or to invest it, then applying it to invest if it's going to make a bigger, uh, bigger right. return. Here's the example. I can get, I could either buy a vehicle right now and pay cash for it, or I can invest, uh, or I can borrow the vehicles, for, you know, 1.9%, and I could invest in a five-year bond that's going to pay me 7%. Right. Right. And so the money I could have put in the car that was going to lose value instead is growing by being invested in the bond. Uh, and, And then you make the payments on the vehicle. Well, first I would tell you, maybe. Okay. And and here's, here's the maybe, uh, vehicles depreciate. If you are making payments on a vehicle, that is worth less than what you were paying into it, you have a problem. Because if you have an accident 
and your vehicle is gone, but you still owe money on it, right? So the insurance value, it's like, well, vehicle is totaled. Here's the total amount that we'll give you for it. And it's not enough to finish paying off the vehicle. Well, now what are you going to do? Okay, but that's a vehicle example. Correct. So let's try one that's not a vehicle. Let's say you got a great rate when you bought your house. Mm -hmm. And and now you've gotten a bonus at work. And so Mm -hmm. you've got this extra Mm $1,000. And your choices are you can pay that toward your uh, early payment off on your house, Mm -hmm. which is maybe three and a half, four percent, or you can invest it for five or six. Right. Mathematically speaking, the investment's a better deal. But I worry that um, when we say investment, there are quote marks out there. Mm -hmm. Is it an investment or is it a speculation? Aha. This was the topic during the break, everybody. What is the difference between an investment and speculation? Right? And so we kind of went around on this one, but I think first is... I like the way you phrased this too, right? It was, um, there's a material risk that you could lose it all. Is that how you phrased it? Yeah, I think that's probably, it's pretty close. Yeah, and, and so the idea meaning you really could, it, when you're speculating, you could lose it all. And I would say at that point, your risk reward is really out of line with what you what we described earlier, borrowing and not paying the house off, but instead putting it in some really speculative venture. The interesting thing about this is there's it's hard to get to a right or a wrong answer. Uh, you can run math scenarios that will easily rationalize that you'll make more money by investing instead of paying off the debt because the returns are higher and because more than likely they're a compounding return as right. opposed to interest in a home which is front-loaded but is straight-line calculated. Mm-hmm. Right, so we already know how much interest your loan on a home will be when you enter into it. You know, you can look at the amortization schedule. You know how it's going to uh, shape up for the life of the loan. So it's a known at that point. It's it's typically fixed unless you have a variable rate. Okay, but if you have a fixed rate loan, you know the terms. The investment implies variable rate of return. Doesn't have to be. It could be a fixed rate of return. In which case, fixed rate of return with no risk. Borrowing at 3% or let's say 4% on a home loan, but reinvesting at, let's say, 7% in a fixed return? That's pretty strong, as long as there's no tax gotchas. But fixed fixed investment return. Well, it sounds like a unicorn right now. I don't know if that really exists, a, a 7% fixed return that has no risk. Yeah, I haven't seen any. So... But but yeah, on paper, our mathematical example, that would be a good one where it's like, well, yeah, I mean, if you can make the 3% spread, because guess what businesses commonly do this? I don't know. Banks. It's exactly well, sure, how, they make, they make exactly, loans at yeah. higher rates than they pay interest. Right, for so banks are all about arbitrage. Let me take your money in. I'll pay you a little bit of interest, but I'll loan it out to somebody else. We'll underwrite the loan and manage the risk just like an investor is supposed to do. And based on that, we'll charge them more than we're paying you, and we'll keep the difference in between to run the bank. It's called a spread, right? It's the the, the spread between the cost of the loan and the cost of the funds that they have. And that's exactly how financial institutions make the majority of their money is on the spread or the margin in their loans. So 
as investors, that's they're kind of doing arbitrage right there. Right. You know? And and so it's just and part of there's a whole risk management process behind it. But I I think that there is arbitrage is one of the trickiest ones. But here's the problem, right? You want to know what the biggest problem is with the whole discussion we're having? You know, I desperately want to know what the what Good. The I will make is. you hang on until after the break and then I will share it with the rest of our listeners. All right, stick around. We'll be right back where I'm going to tell you the number one problem with the arbitrage scenario we just described. Until then, this is David Littlejohn and Derek Simmons. And you're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the home stretch of the True Wealth Show. I am your host, David Littlejohn, in studio with me. Derek Simmons. Uh, you know, number one in our hearts and last in the phone book. Something That's not like how that. you say it. It's close yeah. enough. Uh, look, when we took the break, uh, there was a, a key question out there. If you have not. Uh, for, you know, this is all going to be on podcast. So check out the podcast if you need to go back. It'll be available at our webpage at littlejohnfs.com. It'll also be on the radio station's webpage at 541 Radio. And uh, if you go to littlejohnfs, there's actually a, all the history. We got podcasts that go back to for years. So you can go back and check all those out. They're available on iTunes and all that good stuff too. But here's the question. Uh, we were talking about arbitrage. Okay, this idea that, well, what if I could, because this is advice for youth, advice for youth today, things that we wish that our kids would figure out. And, and probably number one is how to spell arbitrage, but I think they could probably get it. Yes, that. yeah, and, and that's what Google is for. Yes. Um, so if arbitrage is borrowing at a low cost and then investing in a higher cost, what is the number one problem with this strategy? And that is knowing what to invest in or, <laughs> or maybe not even doing that. Borrowing the money and then not investing. Yeah, I, I'd say the number one problem is it's human behavior, right? There's a reason that Dave Ramsey isn't out there talking about this. Dave Ramsey's a smart guy. He gets it, okay? He's not talking about it because people will wreck themselves, right? I, I mean, most of the folks that are listening to him are trying to figure out how to like financially repair damage they did because it's so easy. It's so tempting. And so bad behavior, you think, oh, I'll, you know, you gave this great example at the break, right? Oh, like, yeah. You know, so I, I talk with my kids about this. Yeah. So I, I have a kid that comes to me and says, dad, I got, uh, you know, you gave me this $20 for my birthday. Uh, I want to spend it on Pokemon cards. And, and I say, well, that's not a good thing. You, I'm not going to let you do that. And they say, well, why not? It's my money. And I said, yes, but the fact that you want to spend it on Pokemon cards tells me that you don't know what it's worth. Right. And that is kind of the key is that I see folks a lot of the time that either they don't know what it's worth or this is the more common thing that you'll see. Folks will uh, they'll spend it more than once in their mind. 
Yes. This is actually a huge issue. Hey, I got $20 from my grandparents, and so I went out and bought a $10 this and a $10 that and a $10 something else, and you went, where did it all go? And I said, I'm going to the movies with my friends next Friday. Yes, and so all of a sudden, you've spent it more times than you have. This is also a really common thing that happens when you get a rebate. Well, I spent the money on something. Later on, it gets mailed back to me as a rebate. Oh, found money. I can go do that. Nope. Now it just meant that you paid full price for the item, other item and you spent more. Right. <laughs> so... This is human behavior stuff that folks, I, I use this term all the time, it's normal, it's just wrong, <laughs> right? We do normal things all the time that are wrong. It's failed mental accounting, which is why arbitrage is so dangerous. And it's dangerous because there's so many temptations out there. And uh, it, it, look, I do this for a living. As a financial professional, if I can get caught in a gotcha, anyone can. Okay. And there are, there have been times where I'm like, oh yeah, we did this, that, and the other thing. And so we're good. And my wife will go, you forgot about this. And I go, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not, it's, that's normal. It's just wrong. And so that I think is the takeaway is when we're training, especially young folks, we need to talk about sound financial principles. And if you overcomplicate this, you invite disaster. Let somebody develop, uh, you know, a good financial horse sense, right? Common sense, and then develop more sophisticated strategies. But number one was what? Spend less than you make, right? Uh, here's an interesting one that I think more of our youth should, and probably more of all of us should figure out. Paying yourself first is a bill, right? Your savings account, your emergency reserve, that's a bill. You need to make sure that some of your money is socked away for a rainy day. Don't use our government as an example. Okay, not good. Personally, be responsible. Uh, another fun one, right? So uh, is, you, no, you can't start investing until you have a savings account. This one throws people off. I've had folks come into my office and they say, well, I want to get started investing and I want to put this much per month. And I say, great, what's your, uh, you know, give me a sense of your financial picture. And they have totally inadequate emergency reserves. If they and lose their job, they're in trouble. So then if they need the, m the money, they have to sell it and take a right. loss. They wreck their time horizon. All of a sudden, an investment that may fluctuate in value in the short term, if it's down, and they're forced to sell it, and they're also going to take it from a retirement plan. They're going to tax penalty, and they're going to get take a hit for the investment value short term. You know, you've blown yourself up, right? You compounded the injury, so you're not ready. These are principles, folks. These are. It's not like these uh, smart finance. These aren't optional things. This is just how it is. And the folks that don't do it either get lucky or they just. Got, they, they, you know, they happened to slip under the radar and the gauntlet didn't nail them. But I can't tell you how many stories where somebody does something financially reckless because they just didn't do the most basic stuff, right? They spent more than they made. They forgot to save anything for a rainy day. They had no reserves. They were investing before they should have, or they were buying something with money they didn't have. Yeah, if you can avoid those things, you're really on the right track. It's funny how if you can do those basics, you don't even have to be that sophisticated. Uh, you could do very simple, passive investments, throw a little bit of money each month into something, and lo and behold, over a career or you know, 30, 40 years, you'll have a substantial amount of money that's accumulated. You know, one of the things that when we were talking about arbitrage, it reminded me is that 
um, I have this rule of thirds. If I get a rebate money, mm-hmm. I divide it into three pieces. I save a third, I pay a third down on debt, and I spend a third. And if I do that, everything takes care of itself. See, they're really basic ones, right? And it's just this idea that don't, you know, just don't extend beyond your means and everything will be fine. So anyway, well, look, we're at the end of the show. You hear the music. Derek, how do they reach you if they want uh, great legal advice? Watkinson Laird, 673-5528. All right. And for the rest of you, uh, happy to help. If you have financial questions, give us a call at Little John Financial Services, 541-375-0898. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.